This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Love Brand You, the show about personal branding, how your values, beliefs, and actions help you define and discover your calling and the evolution of you and your brand. I'm your host, Sam Rafus. On today's show, we are talking about motivation. According to the businessdictionary.com, motivation results from the interaction of both conscious and unconscious factors such as the intensity of desire or need, the incentive or reward for the value of a goal, and the expectations of the individual and of his or her peers. These factors are the reasons one has for behaving a certain way. We're into the last part of January, and before I get to my guest expert, I thought it would be fun to look at statistics and New Year's resolutions. This list is from 2017, and it's statistics curated from statisticsbrain.com. So I am sure that we can all agree that usually the number one resolution is to lose weight or get healthier. On this list, that is number one, and 21.4% of the population rank that as their number one. Two, self-improvements. Three, better financial decisions. Four, quit smoking. So those are probably lots that we can agree to that people make for their New Year's resolutions. And according to American statistics, and again, I say it usually every show that it can mirror Canadian statistics. Often when I am looking at that, it's, it's North American statistics. So percentage of Americans who usually make New Year's resolutions is at 41%. And people who actually stick to them, let's see where we're at. Uh, the length of the resolution, if they maintained it through the first week, 72% of the population. If we get to two weeks, it goes down 68%, one month, 58%. So we're getting into a month of being in the new year. And within six months, less than half of the people that make New Year's resolutions actually keep them. And surprisingly, I'm a baby boomer, and surprisingly, I thought we would be pretty good at keeping our New Year's resolutions, and I see that millennials actually do better than we do. So I think 16% for us baby boomers, and if I have it right here, 28% for the millennials. So... My guest will probably have some insight on that. But speaking of my own resolutions, I don't typically make New Year's resolutions. I may make one because I find if I make one, I'm more tempted to stick with it. So my New Year's resolution for this year was to get more sleep. I find that if I do anything, um, I will try to burn the candle at both ends to get more done. So my resolution this year was to get to bed by 10 o'clock, especially during the week. And I would say I'm about 85%, and that's pretty good for me. So I am trying to stick to that. 
I'm putting the question out to you. How are you doing on your resolutions? How's your motivation to stick to your resolutions or your goals? And I'm going to ask that of my guest. I'm to, uh, I've tuned into this brain expert on her many media appearances, and I've been waiting to have, have you on the show. Let me introduce you to Dr. Bryn Weingard. Dr. Bryn Weingard is an award-winning professor, speaker, and expert. Bryn completed her formal education in neuroscience, psychology, marketing, and strategy. And if I read it right, she has an honors, uh, bachelor's degree, an MBA, and a PhD. She has over a decade in corporate marketing, working for Pfizer, Nestle, and Johnson & Johnson, Inc. While Professor Weingard retains positions at the faculty of Schulich School of Business, De Groot School of Business, and University of Guelph, she has now dedicated herself to helping others through speaking about building better business brains. When Dr. Bryn isn't speaking, she is regularly featured on television, radio, and print. To name a few, CBC, MSN, CTV, Global, The Huffington Post, The Financial Post, and many more. For a complete list, you can head to her media page or her social media and see for yourself what Dr. Bryn is up to. I know just before we got on this call that she was at a keynote this morning and she's been flying in and out of Canada and the States, I believe. Welcome, Bryn. I know you're on a tight schedule and thank you for taking the time to be with us. Yes, thanks for having me. Thanks, Sam. As I said, I'm happy to have you here Start us off by sharing your backstory and why you do what you do. Yeah, uh, thank you for that intro. You know, um, my backstory, I think you covered, but what I really do is I look at uh, how brain science can inform business science. So as you mentioned, that's sort of the area of my two formal degrees. And, um, you know, I really got passionate when I was working in corporate marketing about how it is that neuroscience need more neuroscientists need to inform business people and more neuroscience needs to infiltrate business practice. And so, um, and I, I actually, it's not just neuroscience. I call it brain science for a reason, because what I like is that brain science is really includes the psychology, cognitive psychology, social psychology. Um, and so I look at kind of how brain sciences as a subset of disciplines can help us in our business practice and, you know, be more successful and be better business people. And, what what led you into that school or to that path of schooling? That's what yeah. I'm always interested to know. I, it always lived in me. Uh, I, and I've been asked that question before, and I don't have a different answer other than it was a natural curiosity. It was true, I think, since the day I was born. I was always sort of a natural brander, natural marketer, and very interested in psychology and in neuroscience and the brain sciences. I have a supervisor who once said that research is me-search. 
And so I, again, I would say this area of research is really just, it's just me search. It's, it's, it's just what I think about when I'm not thinking about anything. It's what's happening in my brain when I'm in the shower, when I'm driving, when I'm zoning out. Um, so it's just like the most natural thing to me ever. And there was a, there was a long while when um, neuromarketing, let's say neuroleadership, neuromanagement were not, not only not reified disciplines they were disrespected disciplines if they had a name at all so there was a time when there was no name for it and I would this is in the early 2000s and I was wandering around talking about the potential for neural marketing and people thought I was a nutter and what was the what was the feedback that you were getting was this when you were in university or you were already out practicing or I think on one of our previous conversations you had said I was the person in the lab yeah I was in a lab I was doing a doctoral um, doctoral studies in neuroscience I was working in business I was contemplating an MBA but I was already in school and I thought you know there's got there's there's all of these insights that we're gleaning in these labs that I'm finding in this research this is all very relevant to um to business people, to the business that I'm, I'm running. At the time, I was working at Nestle in a sports and lifestyle global business unit. Uh, and, you know, I just thought, wow, this is the evidence of what I'm learning. This, could, could this, this applies to what I'm doing in my corporate career with what I'm learning um, because I worked at the same time as I went to school. And, uh, yeah. And were you, do- just- were you doing marketing and branding then for them? Was that part of your job? Yeah, so I was part of the team that helped bring Power Bar over to Canada um, when it was brand new. Like it hadn't been, uh, it was it had been established in the United States, but Nestle had bought the rights for here in Canada, and they were trying to think about how it was that that might have legs as a brand here in Canada. And so I was part of the team that was in charge of activation, branding, um, you know, marketing management. Um, uh, things like merchandising, even in stores, um, promotional materials, uh, sponsorships. So uh, we would go to lots of marathons and Ironmans and you know, sport meetups for pros um, and hand out power bars and get a sense of what they were looking for. We would scout elite athletes um, to be sponsored by Power Bar. So like those, that was the team that I was working with at the time. So yeah, it was marketing and branding and, and marketing management. And that's really... It's really kind of, you know, that's, I, it had always lived in me, but that was when I made the definitive decision that this was going to be an interdisciplinary space that I worked in. And when I said that to some of my overseeing professors, that, you know, there's this interdisciplinary space and I kind of want to, and it's relevant, I got so much pushback for two reasons. One was because at the time, interdisciplinary research wasn't popular. That wasn't, it was, you weren't a purist. You weren't a uh, Oh, Yes. Um, yes. So focus. You needed to focus first, and then the second, <laughs> right? And then the second thing is that in academia, anything that's managerially relevant is a theoretical. So if it has legs in the world, you're not thinking hard enough. Um, and so that was another sort of barrier that I was up against was was supervisors saying and different ones you'd ask different people you know you're just kind of an entrepreneur at that point in your headspace and because it's not a PhD especially is not a very structured degree you're just sort of this literally a philosopher it's a philosophical doctorate you're a philosopher who just has to find help for your ideas you don't there's no courses you can take you create your own curriculum so um 
I was just doing research and, and poking at people all over the globe saying, this is a thing I believe in, this is a thing I think exists. Um, and no one was listening until in 2004, a seminal paper came out of a Chinese university that was translated from Chinese. And that was the first one published in any academic literatures about the value of specifically of neuromarketing. Uh, and that's kind of where it started. And it very quickly fizzled. So very quickly, they said, uh, you know, the academics out there, probably people like my supervisors, and God love them. I mean, I owe them, you know, my career, but, but there was a lot of my seniors who were saying, like, if it's managerially relevant, it's atheoretical, don't touch it. It's like, it's toxic in our, in our profession. And uh, whatever, the, whatever they're talking about is still, it's not a reified discipline, so it's way too early to, hedge your, to hinge your career on it, as an example. Um, and that was supposed to be strategic about your career. So, yeah, I was sort of warned away from it, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't divert. I mean, it's just who I was. It's I what was, I always thought. I was just going to say, what made, what made you push ahead? Because I think those of us that are entrepreneurs, even though people still think that, whatever you're doing, whatever you're working on. And I know I get so excited about what I do and yeah. I take part of the marketing. I take part of the spirituality. I take part of my, my social work I take all facets of everything that I've been doing throughout my career. And I know some people look at me and still roll their eyes. What made you continue going down that path? Yeah, I think, I think I just, I couldn't not, you know, it was really, uh, it was just, it, it burned inside of me. I don't, yeah. I, I, there's no other way to describe it. Yeah. I just, I wish I had better words or a better way to describe no, it. No, it's, it's the, the people yeah. that are often listening to this show listen because we're, a lot of us are the same mind. When we, when we get something in our head, we're not going to give up. It's there, like you said, there's that driving force. And that yeah. speaks to today's topic of motivation. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about motivation, because you speak a lot on uh, productivity, motivation, brain science. So many people struggle with keeping motivated. So people get motivated, but they struggle with keeping motivated. So how does the brain really work in motivation and performance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, um, when it comes to, uh, this is a billion dollar question, of course, and this is what I look at is uh, how it is that, you know, we can use our brains better in our business practice and our personal lives even to, to stay more motivated, to be more productive. Um, there's a hundred answers and, and all kinds of little tricks and tips, but the truth is, is that, you know, if you know how to use your brain, if you know how the brain really works, then you're able to use your brain a little bit more effectively. And so that's what I focus on with the groups and organizations that I talk to is uh, how is it that the brain is really structured? Because almost like, I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you go to a car mechanic and you hand in your car and, you know, they know what's wrong with it, but they could tell you anything and you just have to pay the price. Like you just, you don't know if they're right or they're wrong. There's no way to check. I think a lot of people, so in a sense, your car is almost like this black box. You don't really know how to, how to operate. And I think in a lot of ways, 
um, our, our brains are the same. We don't really know how to operate it. And so you can go to your friend and ask for advice or the psychiatrist and get some pharmacological intervention. Um, but if you knew more about it, you might not do either one of those things. And so it's almost about, you know, take the mechanics course with me and then you'll know more about this machine of the brain that you're operating every day that actually, uh, popular culture especially has so many myths and misconceptions about, right? There's a lot of fake news out there about how your brain works and that's likely why you are that sought up at after expert to explain this to so many people on whether it's in print whether it's on your uh, media I was I think just saw you last week and you were on the news again speaking I think was it to sales was that last week anyway I, I just remember I, I saw you and I thought, this is why they get Bryn to explain. Oh, um, uh, that's kind. Yes. Um, yeah, I do a lot of news television. What's, what's one tip that you can give our listeners to keep them motivated? Ooh, one tip? I have to choose one? Uh, oh, you can, you can give more, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I like to give everybody a takeaway. If, uh, who, who's ever listening to the show, I like them to know that they can come to this show and they can learn something to take away and actually take action on. Yeah, perfect. Um, and so I guess what I would say if there was one thing that people can do it's to remember that the most valuable neurotransmitter you have for getting things done is called dopamine and dopamine used to have a really bad rap as almost like the hedonism neurotransmitter uh, and that's because we saw surges of neuro of, of dopamine in drug addicts right before they would take their drugs but what's interesting is that we, in recent research, see that even people with PTSD, when they're listening to, uh, as an example, when soldiers would listen to bombs and gunfire, they would have a PTSD response and a dopamine surge. And so what we realized is that dopamine isn't this terrible neurohormone after all. It's actually the action hormone. And so what the best thing you can do is look up ways to um, get yourself to surge a little bit more dopamine. And my personal favorite way, and I always share this with audiences, is to make a list of whatever it is that you want to get done today, in a week, in a month, whatever. And as you go through that list, as you check things off the list, you get a little surge of dopamine, and that little surge of dopamine helps you keep going and helps you lay down neuronal networks that will encourage you to keep doing that type of work. So if you can make a list, make it as detailed as possible, and every time you check something off, you'll get a little surge of dopamine. And then I also say that when you go about your day and you do things that uh, you, you know, weren't on your list, put it on your list and check it off anyway, and you'll get that little surge of dopamine as well. I like checking things off. As you were talking about it, I was thinking, yeah, I do like checking things off. But as you were saying that and you were saying make your list as long and detailed, how does that fly in the face of other experts that say only put two or three things on your list a day so that you feel accomplished? So what's the difference between those two? 
I think everyone has different thresholds there. Uh, the idea there being that you shouldn't expect yourself to get a whole laundry list of things done. In fact, if you're looking at too long of a list, it's very likely to demoralize you. And, and we do something called self-handicapping, where we are stalled before we've started. Um, the real key there is to start with a short list. But as you go on through your day and you're making progress, feel free to add stuff. And then as you do new things, that weren't on the list, that's when you add it. So that at the end of the day, the list is longer than you started, but more stuff is done than you expected. That I like. And I think that's, I just wanted to clarify that for, for the listeners because I think that makes, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I know that you are speaking on motivation and brain productivity next week at the... HRPA, the Human Resources Professional Associate Annual Conference. It's the largest human resource conference in Canada. And there are over, I think if I saw that, there's 4,500 HR professionals, a big lineup of keynotes and informative sessions. You are one of those individuals. I want you to tell us more about that after the break. Gladly. Thank you. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's virtual office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's virtual office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's virtual office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. Are you a speaker who has an inspiring, insightful message that will help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? If the answer is yes, we invite you to become a pro member of the eWomen Speakers Network. We have over 500,000 women connected through 118 chapters spread across North America. We're looking for speakers to share their wisdom and breakthrough ideas. Go to eWomenNetwork.com and join our Speakers Network. The benefits for pro speakers are incredible. Go to eWomenNetwork.com. We are back. Before the break, we were talking about making that list of things that you can check off every day to keep you motivated. Then we were talking about you speaking at the conference next week. Tell us what that's all about, Bryn. Yeah, so, um, you know, I didn't realize that it's the largest HRPA, HR conference in Canada, but I believe that. It is a very large one. Uh, next week, the HRPA is having their annual event uh, in Toronto at the, uh, I think it's the Intercontinental, but I'm sure you can find it on hrpa.org or whatever their website is. Um, and I am talking, my keynote is on Friday morning, so it's a closing closing day keynote. Uh, it's first thing in the morning, so it is a keynote of um, the, the brain science of motivation and productivity. And it's really looking at how you can go from sort of a surviving mindset into, uh, uh, and a, we kind of talk about going from surviving to striving to thriving, and we want you to sort of move all the way through that. And I look at all kinds of things. I run through a little bit of an 
a little bit of an overview of the myths and misconceptions about the human brain and how many things, you know, aren't true that you've heard and what really is true so that you have a almost like an owner's manual. You have a better idea of, um, of how your brain really works. And again, for our I talk about motivation and productivity, inspiration, creativity, uh, where we can sort of get resources when the chips feel low, in ways we can trick ourselves into getting more done, into feeling better about doing more, into feeling more satisfied in general. And I look at all kinds of research. This is the brain sciences. I look at neuroscience for sure, but also things like energy management, sports psychology, in interpersonal neurobiology I mean you name it I've looked at all the literature and sort of come up with my favorite set of about I think there's about 17 practical tips and tricks you can use to um, to be more effective in whatever it is you want to be more effective in typically it's work business brain expert but um, it could be anything it could be domestic chores you know whatever you're looking to do more of and to be more productive at I wish I could be there. Are they live streaming it? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I'll have to hear about it after. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is, oh, where's my next question? Oh, I noticed, I wanted to, I wanted to make a point of this. I noticed in one of your media clips, I think it was the one with um, Diane from Marketplace, um, and you were talking about the subconscious mind and how it relates to sales. My marketing brain, I had to ask you that because I find it fascinating. Mm. Can you share a little bit about the motivation behind sales and buying? Um, I mean, it's a, it, that's an enormous question. Do you want to narrow it a bit? Like, was there? What it was? You were talking to her. I think it was about red and yellow. I, can you, that was really what I was paying attention to and I had to get, get to work. So I had to, I had to stop the clip. I, I was on a time limit and I thought, okay, I can ask you today. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that uh, episode was filmed, I think almost about four years ago now. Uh, it's a marketplace episode where I look at the, yes, the, the brain science. And in, when I say brain science, so much, so the vast majority of your brain is subconscious uh, and how it is that buyers buy using their subconscious brain. And you know, you'll like this, and this is, this is true in my branding life. I remember coming to a focus group once and reading some survey research and getting all these really great answers from these consumers about which bottle would you like better? Would you rather like the blue one or the green one? And every time they would say, oh yeah, we'd rather have the green one or whatever. And then when they got to shelf, they would pick the blue one every single time. And the problem and the reason for that was because they would say that they wanted the green one in focus groups because that's socially, in this case, it was an oral care product, a mouthwash. They would want the green one because green is minty and green is pepperminty and it's frosty and right get in its earthy and it gets that to the feeling that they're going to have this really fresh mouth. But when they actually showed up to shelf um, and they answered those survey questions, I should mention, with their conscious brain. When they showed up to shelf, they're shopping with their subconscious brain, and they would always pick the blue bottle because when the you know moment came to actually pick your product, a lot of mouthwashes and this one certainly burned 
they burn and they're very hard to keep in your mouth for very long. And so people at a see it looked like it would hurt less. So focus group after focus group, green bottle, green bottle, green bottle, shelf after shelf, it was the blue bottle that would move. And so what I realized was there was this huge disconnect. Um, and again, this is just my, my silly head working all the time on these problems that I think neuroscience can inform, but I knew there was a disconnect. And what I came to find out from the research was that what people answer they answer with their conscious brain when people procure products and buy things they buy them with their subconscious brain uh, and so when we ask them in a focus group what they think it, that does not inform what they are ultimately going to buy because we don't buy based on what we think we buy based on how we feel because we think a big mac is high in sodium and saturated fats but we feel like eating it anyway and so we don't go with what we think when we procure anything. And so that was sort of that whole episode. Um, and yeah, it's a good example. I mean, there were 101 things that I changed in that makeover of that store. Uh, but one of them was based on, as an example, uh, just one of the things was that red, yellow, and white hit the um, visual cortices before your conscious brain can intercept it. So point of sale or impulse purchase uh, brand logos are in those colors. So if you think of um, a lot of the uh, checkout aisle, they use a lot of those three colors. If you look at, you know, driving down the I-75, there are going to be red and or yellow and or white logos galore. You name it, keep going. If they're all red and or white and or yellow. And that's really in the interest of bypassing your conscious brain, which would say high sodium, high fat, not good for me. And getting to that subconscious brain that says, I, I think it's high in sodium, but I feel like eating it anyway. That makes sense as you're talking about it. But like you say, in the, in the moment, your logic brain I can see where that goes, where you, where you know logically, and I've been in focus groups too, and, and some of those questions have come up, and then later on somebody bought something else, and, and those were the days I'm talking, I'm dating myself here, this would be in the early 90s that we were doing focus groups, and yeah. I, I can remember that, because we would come back and we would say, but that's not what they said, why, why is this happening? That would have been great to have more of that information then. That's what I thought, right? And that was the stuff I was working on maybe 10 years later in the early 2000s yeah. was I know there's, there's social, there's neuroscience, there's brain science stuff at work here that won't jive in the marketplace. We are going to see a different result. And I predicted it. And then when I found it on, on my business, I thought, okay, this is a rich area of research and I'm definitely going to go and do a PhD in it. And so I did. So that was your PhD? Yeah. Interesting. I love that. And then how did you translate that into working with people? Was it really hitting where the where the dollars were when you could prove and say, you know, the sales are going to be there or how hard of a of a way into that was it? Yeah, it was uh, harder than you would think. I think what what um, definitely took clients when it came, I don't consult anymore. Now I'm just, I just speak and I teach. But, um, when I was consulting, I thought for sure people would be happy to have somebody who knows this. And honestly, when you say, Oh, I have an MBA, they like you. When you say, Oh, I have a PhD. They're Oh no, 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 no. We don't want any of those thinkers in here. We want doers. <laughs> 
God. We don't want people who are going to tell us about the pie in the sky. We want people to come and help us bake. And so um, that was the difference. I found actually that was a disadvantage to some extent. So while I knew more and I had the work experience, a lot of clients, especially corporate clients, uh, there have been a slew of PhDs long, long before me that probably, you know, were slow and laborious and analytical and they didn't actually get anything done. And so I found actually the consulting, the sales process on a consulting job was, it was, was very tough actually, more tougher than you would have thought. Um, there is a market for it though, for sure. And, you know, there are scholars like myself, Paco Underhill, um, Martin Lindstrom, uh, you know, there's a few others out there who are doing this kind of work and that has really catapulted corporate uh, interest in what I like to call, what, what is neuromarketing? Neuromarketing is actually a bit of a misnomer because what neuromarketing really yeah, uh, so neuromarketing, there's a bit of a mis misnomer in the name. What it should probably be called is neuroretail. And so when people say they are studying neuromarketing, very rarely are they actually studying classic or, or historical marketing the way that you see it. They're more typically studying how shoppers shop in retail environments. Got it. I'm looking at our time and I want to make sure to ask you the question that I ask every guest. What's one of your best daily habits that keeps you aligned with your brand as, as your, what yours says, building better business brains. What's one of your best daily habits? Oh, that's a very good question. I think um, there's probably two of them. Sure. One is I'm, I'm an avid breakfast eater. I really, I start my day off with lots of protein and that's always really helped me. I think, um, you know, just kickstart a metabolism and keep my enthusiasm and energy up. Uh, the second thing is I really do like to be active. I'm, I'm, I don't go crazy. Uh, you know, I have been known to, but I don't, I don't do too, too much activity. I just make sure that I sweat every day. And then that allows me, um, to be a little bit more situated in my mind, in my body, in my brain. Brain, um, and I find that I'm that much more productive and healthy and my immunity is higher and so I know it sounds probably cliche but yeah I eat a good hearty solid protein breakfast and I work out and I don't work out right after like I, I work out um, usually uh, closer to the end of the day that's just what works for me so yeah and when I was consulting with clients when I was a holistic nutritionist and we would talk about breakfast, what, yeah. what do you actually eat? Because when I would work with my clients, I would say to them, I want to know what you like to eat because I'm not going to give you a meal plan that says, here, eat eggs and, and toast or you know, make, make this for breakfast if you're not going to eat it. So right. what, what's your favorite go-to breakfast? Um, well, I uh, have every morning, I have um, a, a couple of naturopathic pills for my naturopath that are kind of help you start your day. Um, they're just like an energy boost with, you know, they help hormonal regulation and everything. Um, and they keep inflammation at bay, all of that. Uh, and then I typically will have a tea. I really like tea. I drink a lot of tea throughout my day. Uh, so I typically have like an English breakfast tea 
and uh, eggs. And I don't like the yolk, so I hard boil eggs. Um, and there's actually a joke. I was consulting for a long time uh, with, a, with a troupe, almost like, uh, you know, a, a, a pod of other consultants um, at one of the big five consulting firms. And we were, we were positioned in uh, Houston, which is, it's in Texas, it's hot. Yeah. And every morning they would have this huge Texas breakfast. And I didn't want it. Right. I didn't want anything but the hard-boiled eggs. And you know what else? They would have barbecue for lunch. They would have these enormous steak dinners. And I'm not a vegetarian, but I, I'm minimal with my meat intake. Me too. Uh, other than eggs. And so, I, yeah. And so I would take these morning breakfast eggs and I would put them in my cubby, it's called, like in your little area that's almost like, you know, but there's no door or a latch on it. It's just it's your space. My, yeah, it's like my desk space in a little pod. We're always crammed in these little pod rooms. Anyway, uh, and over the course of the day, these eggs would stink up this room. <laughs> and, I, and so my peers, the other co-consultants would, and the Houston's again, like it's kind of humid. We had air yep. conditioning, but it's kind of humid. So this room would start off nice and fresh and made ready clean in the morning. And by end of day, stunk like Brin's uneaten eggs. Um, and, it, and so I got a lot, I caught a lot of flack for that, but I'm, I'm pretty famous for my hard boiled eggs because I really like them. I think they're healthy. They give me the energy I need, um, some nutrients, a little bit of fiber, uh, and then not a ton, ton of calories. And they don't make me sick. There's no gluten, you know, all that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Good fuel. Egg whites. I'm big on the eggs for breakfast too. And what's your, what's your go-to exercise? Mm, I do um, mostly bar these days. It used to be Pilates and running. Yeah. Um, and then I, I realized uh, through Dr. Natasha Turner's book, actually as a holistic nutritionist, you might be interested. Yeah, I know in who she is. Yeah. Yeah, um, and she was, you know, I went and I, I saw her too um, as a patient and I thought, and she was really adamant that uh, Pilates is fine and cardio is fine, but you have to lift weights. Yeah. And so, and I hated lifting weights. I did not want to lift weights. Uh, and so the only way that I've found palatable, I can run forever. I could do Pilates all day long. I love it, love it, love it. I did not like lifting weights. I want to do that for zero hours a day. <laughs> like, I don't want to do it. Um, and so the only way that I figured out to trick myself into lifting weights palatably with enough choreography that it keeps it interesting is, is in bar. Um, sometimes it's like a little bit of bar with CrossFit sort of thing, but basically, um, yeah, bar. And so what I do, because I travel, as you know, I travel about four days a week, I um, put that I got a, uh, a subscription that I, that allows me to do that anywhere I am. So I can, yesterday I was in, I'm this, I'm not kidding. It was about five o'clock in the morning. I was in Bonita Springs, Florida, and I had all of the, the stuff out of the mini bar and they were my dumbbells. So, so. <laughs> but you know what? You do what works. And that's, again, that's what I say to everyone, even, even when I was still consulting in the nutrition area. And, you know, like I said, I'm a baby boomer. And people would say, well, and my clients would say, what do you do? You look, you look the same. I've known you for 15 years. And yeah. I would say it's not rocket science. I just do a little bit every day. I'm consistent. And I was laughing when you were saying I could run forever and not do weights. You and I could flip. 
I'm the opposite. Oh, really? I oh. I love my weights. I love working out that way, and I I don't run. I'll walk. Oh. I'll hike. I'll. I, my daughter wanted to go to our gym here at the apartment and go on the treadmill, and I was walking as fast as I could. And she started jogging, and she looked over at me, and she just shook her head and started laughing because I looked at her. I'm I'm not running. So yeah. But you know what you you do. You do what you do. That's mm -hmm. what it is. So those are, whether those are habits that seem cliche, they're cliche because that's what keeps you healthy. Yes, right. Yes, good point. Okay. How can our listeners connect with you? Ah, pretty simple. Um, I mean, I'm on all the major social sites, but basically just go to drgrin.com. And you'll find everything. You'll find blogs, listings of where I'll be, videos, bios, uh, articles, news appearances, all of the social sites, all the newest postings. And I often say that I connect with people on social media, and that's where you and I connected. I had yeah. seen, I think I'd seen that you were here speaking in Calgary. And oh, I think I had okay. think I had commented on one of your Instagram posts, and then we got talking, and and oh. then I literally I said I need to have you on the show. So here we are, and yeah. I am happy that you are here, and I want you to leave us with your best parting words of wisdom. Ooh, this is such a tough one. Okay, it's a Walter Freeman quote. And it said, and he said, all the brain can know, it knows from inside of itself. And the reason that I like that is because it, in that one eloquent sentence, we find that our entire universe is in fact inside our own craniums, which means that all action, reaction, idea, behavior, value, personality, answers, to all of life's questions, they're all, they all reside in that head of yours. And if you can tap into it properly, if you can use your brain properly, um, then it's a real, it's a real wealth of, of, you know, resource. It's a real wealth of, um, abundance. It's a wealth of answers and of sort of what I would say is this endless pit of, of, um, you know, ability of, of resource and ability to uh, look to yourself for the answers that you need. So I really, I live by that. And I really, I give it often to audiences as well as evidence of how powerful that brain of yours is. Thank you. I was taking that in. That's why I had to take a moment. And then I remember we're on the radio and I can see you, but the listeners can't see us. So thank you. Listeners, head on over to Dr. Bryn for more about Dr. Bryn Weingard, to samrafis.com to join my community. Head to iTunes to subscribe to Love Brand You. And if you like what you heard or have a comment on today's show, give a review and I would really appreciate that. I'm your host. Thanks, Bryn. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everyone. Until next time, keep sharing the love. This is the EWN Podcast Network.